It's my first time. You're new here, aren't you? First time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I'm watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We are veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the very first time, searching for those Star Trek-like messages, trying to dig them out of this series, applying that analytical lens that we have gained over our years in podcasting about Star Trek, and ultimately trying to decide if we even like the series at all or not. And while this is not a Star Trek podcast, we are Star Trek podcasters, and so those references are going to make their way into the show. In fact, I think a lot of them might actually make them into this show. It's going to be a challenge because Brent and I play the rule of three. We each only get three apiece references to Star Trek through the entire episode. Bartering is an option and may possibly be on the table this time. And I will, I will make you guys a promise. I know there was an episode a couple weeks ago where I was just like, I don't even care. I don't care. I'm going to use all the Star Treks, and then I'm going to use all of them, and I'm going to use all yours. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to abide by the rules of this time, Jeff. That's good. I had to hit a lot of buttons. It was like two weeks ago, and I had to hit all yeah. these buttons because you just kept going. I'm yeah. Like, I, like, I used all of mine, and then I used all of yours, and I think I used some, like, rollover buzzes from previous episodes. We have. The most incredible community out there that listens to us, who watches us on YouTube. And I've got a couple things I want to share from them. The first one is from our Twitter at Babylon First. You can follow us there. There's nothing for me to say on this one. This is just one for you to go and look at sometime. But Carl's Web at Web Carl's with a K on Twitter and Gail at B5 Raven shared some super cool, some amazing cosplay photos of them as uh different uh instances but as vorlon they were on stage at cons in the late 90s yeah as kosh and vorlons super cool super cool okay i have a question i've been thinking about this recently are there babylon 5 specific conventions like i know there are stargate conventions obviously there are star trek conventions but are there actual babylon 5 conventions out there and if there aren't, should there be? Maybe. Maybe we should. Hmm. Is the fandom not large enough to handle its own convention and come together? Sounds like we might have a task in front of us. Yes. And we have like two years to get it planned and operated because we wouldn't be allowed to go to it until then anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. We got plenty. We can go and we can just tell people this is the Babylon 5 conference to discuss up to season two, episode 23. 20- 21 <laughs> nothing after that <laughs> we'll get let's see here well now see i can't even like i was gonna say like we'll get like the dude that played jinxo and we'll yeah. get the dude but i don't know if those guys come back or not that's right we don't <laughs> i don't know well i have i have three other comments i want to share but they all have a common theme and this is one we've talked about a couple of times but these three people in the recent times have shared the impact that Babylon 5 has made oh, on their lives. Cool. Yeah. these the, They all kind of came in a succession, and it really hit me, so I kind of grouped them all together. On our YouTube, Violent Silence shared that it was something that got me really interested in screenwriting. JMS did a great book on it that featured the script for a pivotal season two episode. Not as dramatic of a change or impact as for other people, but it did lead to me being a harsher critic. Like it didn't kill star Wars for me, but it meant I couldn't miss or ignore the faults in it. Like I did as a kid. Then on our Twitter, Alyssa, who has an incredible Twitter name at wacky Vorlon. And she says she's had that name from Twitter, like since the nascent days of Twitter. So I'm good. Good on you, Alyssa. But she says when she still could have just been at Alyssa, Right, except it was still, or Alyssa won. Like it was just, yeah, they were all out there, <laughs> but still picked Wacky Vorlon. I have, I have a friend who's like at Josh. Really? Yeah. Or it's like at Josh W, I think is what it, like, it's that like easy and simple. And because he was one of those like day tours. <laughs> I'll try this thing out. I mean, what, it's got an egg. What could go wrong with a great 
egg. Twitter is the great egg. It, yeah, I won't go down that rabbit hole. Well, Wacky Vorlon, Alyssa says, Babylon 5 played a formative role in the development of my personal philosophy and ideals. I learned a great deal about how to live from the show. I got to tell you, Brent, I'm, I think it's amazing the show had this impact on people. I have not seen this yet, right? Like what we have watched in this series so far would not teach me a lot about how to live. So I think we have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, Alyssa, it, if you could write back to us, tweet us or DM us if you want to do it that way. Um, anything that you're comfortable being shared uh, and tell us what it has, like how it has taught you to live or like what things it has taught you to live. Keep it non-spoilers. Um, but I'd be I'd really be interested to know because I'm kind of on this page with Jeff there of like, what exactly have you learned? Because, because Jeff, that is exactly what we're searching out in this show. When we look for those Star Trek-like messages, we're not trying to compare it to Star Trek all the time. We're looking for those those life messages that are, I think honestly should exist in most sci-fi, at least somewhere. So, Last one I've got through our website, Babylon5first.com. That's the number five in the word first.com. Nathaniel reached out. Nathaniel said, while I consider B5 to be generally life-changing and influencing, there's a particular dialogue between two-ish characters in early season three that helped me deal with some of the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. Unfortunately, I can't say more without spoilers. Thank you, Nathaniel. Appreciate that. But look forward to you reaching that section. I've heard similar stories from a number of fans, so I think you will find that many have been touched by B5 in the way you describe Star Trek fans. That's cool. And please reach out to us when we do get to that spot and say, this is what I was talking about, because we're a whole season away from that. And while I would love to tell you that I will remember this, I cannot promise that that will be the case. So I would love to hear that. We're kind of in a spot now, Jeff, where every once in a while we'll get a message from somebody who says, I've been waiting for you to get to this spot. Yep. And so it's kind of neat to know that there are still people waiting for us to get to more spots down the road because uh, we've started hitting those. And it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, we know now. Yeah, we we're also it. still so early, so early in this series, you know. Well, Jeff, you know, uh, along with our game rule of three, we have another game that we like to play here at Babylon 5 for the first time. And that's where we try to guess what next week's episode is going to be about based on the title alone. Cause we haven't read show descriptions or, you know, watched any trailers or anything like that. And this spot of the show, because that game happens towards the end of the episode. Uh, this is the spot where you and I take a look back at what we said last week that this week's episode was going to be about. So Jeff, this honestly might be the hardest thing we do every week because I'm just trying to remember what we said. But, Jeff, do you remember what you said Spider in the Web was going to be and how close do you think you were? I remember very much what I said because there was a, I mean, a fraction of a second that I thought I might be right and then not at all. But I thought this was going to be um, Bester coming back and Bester being set up like, look what a good guy I am. I'm so great. You must be the people that there's something wrong with. So there's some psychor sort of kind of and a psychop in this one. That's about as close as I got. What about you? I, I remember kind of reasoning it out like a spider in the web is somebody who's sitting around waiting to make a kill. And I don't know where I went from was that. Was it a Londo thing? You went with a Londo? I think I was. I, oh, that's what I said. This is going to be a Londo Jakar episode. And it was not. Well, hey, now that we have talked about how completely wrong we were about this one, why don't you, Brent, remind us about what this episode was actually about? Well, all right. A spider in the web. Buckle up, because this one is pretty thick. Talia Winters. Hey, you guys remember her? She's our resident commercial telepath. Well, she has an old friend who's just come on board B5. Well, he's an old friend and an old mentor and a father figure and a client. His name is Taro Isogi. Isogi? I think it's Isogi. Isogi-san? That's what she called him? Yes, Isogi-san. Uh, and he is the CEO, I think he was the CEO, of a company called Future Corp, which is an Earth-based business that does stuff. And he has come all the way out to Babylon 5 from Earth to meet with a representative from Mars government just one planet away so that they could negotiate a deal which could lead to Mars's independence from Earth. 
which some people back on Earth fear might actually be used to finance a new rebellion. But unfortunately, someone else back home really doesn't like this idea either. And by back home, I mean somebody who's hiding out in the future wasteland that we now call San Diego. It's a mysterious woman, and she's overseeing the commencement of a major operation that has 13 components deployed to Babylon 5. We're all 13 at Babylon 5. That's what I thought I heard, but I would be shocked if that was all. Anyway, regardless of that, there's also something called control that is at the center of the whole thing. Now, what this person we come to find out has actually deployed in this particular case is an assassin to take out a Sego. Asogi. Asogi. He apparently got super cool Darth Sidious electric gloves for Christmas because he fries Asogi with a grasp of his neck, but he does it right in front of Talia, who stuns him with a mind scan, and, and he leaves her without harming her at all. Talia isn't really sure what the image was that she saw in his mind, but Sheridan and Garibaldi promised to protect her. She's going to need it because the bad guy was just ordered by control to take her out. Maybe her personal security guard is actually going to need it because while he gets taken out just as easily as Asogi, Talia gets to scan this guy's mind again, and he starts to glitch. And this time, she can make out the image quite a bit better. It is a ship firing directly at the guy from his own point of view. You see, this guy, his name is Abel Horn. And Abel is now a space zombie. But when he was alive, he was one of the leaders of the Free Mars movement. But turns out he was killed in a battle when his ship was fired upon by an Earth ship. He has no other memories going on in his head right now, except for that one moment of his own death replaying again and again and again, which I think just kind of means it sucks to be a space zombie. Now, Sheridan finds out about this and suspects that he was part of something called Project Lazarus, which was a secret program where they would take dead or mostly dead people and turn them into sort of RoboCop Cylon type dudes. So the space zombie starts glitching all over the place and even goes to the Mars lady for help. He injures her, but he doesn't kill her. And when Talia comes to talk with her, space zombie goes after Talia one more time. And this time Talia gets an even deeper scan and she sees the moment where he woke up on the operating table being turned into RoboCop and there standing over him was a female psychop saying he's alive. He's alive. And he's ours, all ours. Well, that's really about as far as we get because Sheridan and company come in and they sparky gun him thing to death. That is until he activates his own self-destruct and he blows up real good. But, you know, everyone got out of the room and they're totally not on a craft in the middle of space, which would have had a hole ripped in it. So everything's going to be fine. Just a little mess to sweep up. And speaking of a couple little messes to sweep up, there's just two more things I want to talk about before we get out of here. Number one, Garibaldi needs some more information from Sheridan on this whole Project Lazarus thing because he needs to know. Sheridan says it was a secret illegal organization ran out of the Earth government called Section 30, uh, I'm sorry, Bureau 13, which is where we get a cutback to San Diego in the wastelands of that HQ place with the female Dr. Claw. She wants control to make sure that the Bureau hasn't been compromised by this whole thing. And then we find out that she is that psychop lady from the operation. And then we find out that she herself is deceased. <laughs> and lastly, speaking of Talia, it seems that her and Garibaldi have grown a little closer through this whole thing. Sure, we'll come back to that one in a future episode. But for now, that's the end. What a breath of fresh air this episode was. Oh God. Right? We've had just a line of stinkers up to this. And I I really I enjoyed this. I was really thankful to be back to the Earth and Mars stuff going on. We've been so shadows focused and have only been kind of like spinning the pieces on the board around the shadow stuff to actually have. Have we really been shadows focused? Well, that's like, what I'd say. Like we haven't moved any pieces around. We've just like been, hey, look at look at this. As I spin it around. You can look at the different sides to it that we have. But this moved some stuff. Mm -hmm. It reminded us of, you know, the whole Earth thing and the, the the Mars rebellion that was going on. And it moved things forward a little bit. It expanded the world a little more. I just thought I thought it was really well done. But damn it. <laughs> damn it. 
<laughs> Sheridan is just, you know, I, I'm really into conspiracies. And there's this rogue operation that does the things that we're not willing to do. And he's saying this. I'm just like, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't. Bureau 13. Oh, my God. If this isn't a direct, <laughs> like a direct Star Trek, I'll say this is this is definitely uh, Star Trek inspired by Babylon 5 moment here that yeah i need to i need to apologize actually <laughs> to one i i oh, i got in a pretty this goes back a couple months a couple months ago i got into a pretty it has been. has it been that long i mean we've had lots of conversations over the course of our time here people like you know they ripped off deep space nine and i'm like yeah, oh i went to i went to the mattresses with uh matthew ignacia retro uh, robot on um on youtube but on twitter like i went to the mattresses with him and like i was i was getting mm-hmm. pretty cocky too with just like oh yeah a space station and a hole in space so they're the same and then this happened and i'm like oh shoot oh no <laughs> maybe there's something to this yeah i you know i don't remember if it was on this show or a different show that i was talking but i can remember having a conversation with um a guy named aaron who is a writer on one of the current star trek shows that are out there and one of the things aaron was saying was he does not read anybody else's writing refuses to because if if he's reading that writing and then he's putting down his own stuff he can't be a hundred percent sure that he didn't pick up an idea like even if he's not copying saying hey let me steal that idea and put it in here or hey the idea of a road because look here's the thing JMS does not own the market on rogue organizations. <laughs> true, true. You know what I mean? Like rogue or that the rogue organization is kind of a neat idea. Let's throw it in there. The fact that one is named Bureau 13 and the other one is Section 31, which Jeff, go ahead and give us a buzz for you both think? of us on this because this is completely yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be- but I mean, the fact that they're so closely named is like, yeah. Like the Ducat and the Ducat thing, I can kind of be like, okay, that's a coincidence. This one's like, that's really close. Yeah, I mean, literally, if it was Bureau Alpha Bravo or even Bureau eighty six, you know, okay, cool. But the <laughs> mm, wow, right. wow, this is this is. I think it was last week. I was making fun of the Vanilla Ice thing, you know, Vanilla Ice and Queen. This this is that exactly. You know, it says, well, there's another eighth note to it. I mean, it's a 31, not a 13. What the, come on. You know, I mean, the only saving grace is, I mean, but section 31 didn't even come out till season six of deep space nine. Like it was so far into the run. And I am tempted and I'm not going to do, I'm just going to say, I am tempted to go down a path of like talking about what section 31 was and what it was intended for and what bureau 13 is. But I want to save that for another time because I don't know exactly what bureau 13 is all about. I was going to say, we don't know what Bureau 13 is. We can talk about what Section 31 is. Here's what I'll say. From the information we know right now, the two, while both are rogue organizations operating within the government, I don't, wait a minute, is Section 31 a rogue organization? It's in the Starfleet Charter. It is Section 31 of the Charter. It's it, Right. It's It's not actually a rogue organization. It is a black ops organization for sure. But they're not actively working against the Starfleet government, and they're not working for their own betterment. They're actually – like the things they do are for the betterment of that. Based on what we get the feeling here, this Bureau 13 really is acting to either subvert the Earth Force government or potentially take it over or have its own agenda. And there's a there's a very different quality to those two things. But, I mean, I can't get over the 1331 thing, man. Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon 5 for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community. And you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. 
You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. And, th- th- and this is just, this is total Jeff with the tinfoil hat and the red yarn connecting everything back here because there's no, there's no way this is tied. But seriously, it's Bureau 13 and control. Like, like uh, there's a whole, yeah. there's a whole yeah. season of discovery dedicated to control. And I even did the little bit of research. So this episode of Babylon five occurs in March, 2259 discovery went and chased down control in 2257. So, so yeah. So my, what my theory what my theory is, is that Burnham and crew are actually behind Bureau 13. And this is just, that's going to be the continuation, JMS's continuation of Babylon 5, that people are clamoring to get onto the CW and everything is actually going to be the crossover episode. Wait, wait, is it is it Burnham and crew or is Georgia, it Georgia? Or um, just, just straight up, straight up Tilly? Starfleet. Was it Starfleet? Maybe it's Prime Lorca that comes back and, and got, I don't know, yeah. but... Listen, what what we have just discovered is is that Star Trek and Babylon Five occur in the same universe, side by side, and both exist. That's what we've just well, discovered. we proved it last last week with Barclays Holodeck program for everything, and then this week right. that at the same time Control is running all this stuff, and Control is out there trying to get the Red Angel to do some stuff, and is taking over. I don't remember everything that happened in season two of Discovery. That was a long time ago. Hey Jeff, you know what? This is not a Star Trek podcast. I know. See, this is why we have the game, and this is like we're right. There's two. I got two in there. I got one left, but uh, I'm going to ride this bad boy okay, for a okay, little here's while. The thing. Is, is control an artificial intelligence that's like super smart and controlling everything? No idea. That's what it seemed like because that's what it is in Star Trek. And I had that. I was like, oh, my gosh, is control, is control an AI? Because if, if it's an AI named control, I need I need to see some non Star Trek AIs out there also called control. Like I need this to be a thing that happens in science fiction and not a a, a crossover. Yeah, so far uh, my 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 hopes have gone from high to non existent <laughs> on this. So I'm just gonna ride the ride the train that that's a there's a total crossover between these two at this point. Or or I mean at least for the modern day stuff that you know Kurtzman and the people that are creating Discovery. Also, we're Babylon Five fans, and this is like their nod. Oh, yeah, you know, it's it's an homage. It's their nod back to Babylon Five, rather than just like a, we're going to steal your whole cool. concept. I would like that. So I have a theory on. So we're talking about Control and Thirteen. So the Psycop identified herself as Thirteen. Yeah. So, right. So this this is Thirteen. Mm-hmm. Do you think? So it said she was deceased, and I think um, I'm curious what you think. I figure it's either that that's the record they kept. Oh, she's deceased. So, you know, just like falsifying records sort of a thing, which seems like a bureau 13 ish thing to do. Or is she also a cyber zombie who died and they plugged a thing into her brain and she's, you know, control is operating her in some way. I I think the implication is that she is also a cyber zombie. She's also a space zombie. I think that's the implication. Could it turn out either way? Absolutely. The writers have left that completely open. Who knows where that's going to go in the future and the way it's actually going to turn out. But I think the implication and I think even the intent that they were going for right now is that, yes, she is also a cyber zombie. And this control thing is at the core of it and controlling them. Yeah. What what I want to know is what are these 13 components Cause it says, you know, 13 components have been deployed and I, I swear it said to Babylon five third, they're all in play. It said they're all in place and they've been deployed to Babylon five. I may have to go back. I've only watched this mm. one once. I have not done a rewatch on it yet or anything like that, but this, this 13 and I'm just sitting here going, okay, if there are 13 of these components, let's assume that these components 
are space zombies. Yeah. What else could they be? What else could they be at this point? Right. So there's 12 more of these space zombies. Okay. Here's my tinfoil hat. Are we now moving into Cylon territory with these things that people interacting normally are actually space zombies might even not know that they're space zombies. And how are you going to tell the difference? Is Garibaldi in reality a space zombie? Oh, wow. Has he been replaced by space zombie? Maybe not even replaced. No, he can't be replaced. But, well, I get, oh, because they got the changeling cloak things. Not so. even the changeling net thing, but he, he was out, down and out in a coma for, like, what, three episodes after he got shot in Chrysalis. <gasps> and, yeah, oh so God. Dr. Franklin maybe is part of this Bureau 13 thing. Oh, he needs a little more time. Oh, that would break my heart. That would break my heart if Garibaldi turned out to be a Cylon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he didn't know it. He was right. Cause, cause they said they don't just take the dead. It's the, the, the mostly dead. You see, there's all the way dead. And then there's mostly dead. He, he's just mostly dead. But it turns out, it turns out his third favorite thing isn't actually tea. It's treason and insurrection at the behest of control. I love the fact that they brought that joke back. I love the fact they brought that joke back. I just want to say, Jeff, with your opening statement of this whole thing, I 100% agree with you. This is the episode I needed last week, to be frank. Like, I was mad at Babylon 5 last week. This is the episode I needed. Is this a great episode in the grand scheme of things? Because I pro- I can hear some of the, the Babylon 5 veterans being like, you guys really like this episode? Because it's not really a great episode. Like, we don't really love this one that often. I can hear people saying that. And... Like, this is an episode that I will simply say, if it's not a great episode of Babylon 5, this is a this is a season two sci-fi episode that is marking the growth of the show. Yeah. Like, the show could be way better than what this episode actually is, but this is one of those episodes that that is a step function on the right way to the show because... I tried to do the recap on this and make it smaller than it was. And I couldn't because there were so many things that they packed in. And it was, it was last week's episode. Right. Didn't know what it wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Remember that this episode knew exactly what it was. A, a, an espionage spy thriller. What the heck is going on? Why does Sheridan know all this stuff? He collects secrets. Dude, something's up with that. Agreed. Like there's a, there's a whole like, I like to study, you know, the, uh, the Illuminati and the, you know, Masonic lodges and the stuff. Like, oh, it's fun. It's a fun hobby to study this. Then there's the person who uh-huh. does their own research. Right. And I'm like, which one of those is Sheridan? Cause if he's just a collector and studying and stuff, cool. That's neat. People are very rarely, we've learned this very rarely what they appear to be on Babylon five. So what are we going to learn about Sheridan? That's not so great. Well, he said he had to pull a lot of strings to, to get a name or to find out like, what is he? He is more than just the captain of the Agamemnon. Who's been reassigned to Babylon five. I need to know more about this guy's backstory. And also I still want to know how he loses or how he gains a bunch of weight and still looks like that. I don't He looks great. <laughs> looks really good. It looks great. When he's smiling, like when Ivanova's like, hey, I'll take care of the, what was it, the the Takar thing at the beginning. He's like, ah, it's good to be captain. And he's just smiling. I'm just like, God, he looks good. Look at that. He does. He looks captain-y, doesn't he? I had one last thought on um, 13, the, 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 the Psycop. Yeah. My theory is that she is Abby the person that Talia was assigned to when she first got to Psychor, like her buddy that she was paired up with. We heard the story about. Don't you think that Talia would have recognized her from her picture or from seeing her? I think she did. I think she did recognize oh. her. She went to the computer, like she, like in the, the mind thing, she was like, oh, could it be? And then she went like, like how from just seeing that face, how does she go to the computer and look, if I see your face, on the street, and then I go to Google or DuckDuckGo, and I, like, look up your face? I'm not going to find anything. But if I'm like, is that is that Babylon 5 for the first time's Brent Allen? Is that who that is? And I go look for that. Oh, my gosh. Is that Abby such and such from Psychor who became a – oh, my God, yes, it is. And that look on her face at the end. So I feel like we're going to have on the shadow side – the personal stake of Sheridan's wife having been killed by shadows. 
that'll pull him in. And then on the Earth, Free Mars stuff side, we're going to have Talia and the tie to Abby. That's going to be her personal stake. Hmm. Interesting. I have a question about Talia. A bunch of weeks ago, we had that episode. I forget the name of it now. It's the one where like the little girl was the telepath and she like had puberty and it manifested. And, and yeah, I think it was legacies. There you go. And her and Ivanova, like Talia and Ivanova were like arguing over where and like Talia wanted to send her to Psychor, send her to Psychor, send her to Psychor. Didn't we have a whole episode where Talia met an old boyfriend who came in and he was being greatly abused by Psychor. And then he like blasted her with some sort of like, I'm going to give you like all of my gift. And like, that was supposed to supposedly turn her off to Psychor and like make her like all suspicious and kind of turn her against her and, and, and raise her psi level a bunch and all that kind of stuff. Did I imagine that episode? Well, if we did, it's a joint hallucination. I remember the thing too. <laughs> like it happened, but apparently there's no fallout whatsoever, right? My lover can get basically, I mean, he ascended and it was super cool for him, but right. you know, get chewed up, you know, run through the ringer and he tells her horrible things about Psychor and she's like, oh, I and don't know. And she gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, eh, I want to send the kid to Psychor. And then eh, I... I have all these great memories of growing up with psycho. I don't remember my mom and dad at all, but like I had Abby. That's so cool. Right. I think with her too, um, not just the point of like, how is she still pro psycho? But at the end of that episode, she had the little bit of telekinesis. She moved the penny. Yeah. Right. So in this one, Abel's holding her down and she freaks out and, and she pulls the harem in gray pain, pain. Right. She says, and, right. he, and he's like, what are you doing lady? Come on. She should have rocked him to the ground, given what we know from uh, what was it? Mind War. From Mind War, that, that should have been devastating. That was the episode we met Bester. Yeah, yeah, right? and and, and, the, and the, all the Jason Ironheart stuff, and like, yeah, it's almost it's almost like Mind War never happened, right? We've gotten two two mentions of Bester, um, yeah. legacies, and then when um, you know, dude who shot uh, shot Garibaldi did the tip mm-hmm. of the hat thing. That's it, and then Talia is completely unchanged from that whole thing. Right. Mm, kind of a letdown. I mean, if she was, if she was putting on an air because she didn't want to get in trouble or she was still investigating or something, but like, like we, I need to have Talia do something here because they set that up very specifically and they've done nothing with it. And I'm kind of mad about it. Yeah. It's just, I mean, yeah, for a thing that sh- was huge and early, you know, we're going to introduce you to Babylon five with this. Mm-hmm. And then let it go. So what did we make of Talia straight up lying to Sheridan at the end of this episode? I think it ties directly to what Ivanova was saying when he was asking her. That was such a cool interaction between them when, well, you know how I feel about telepaths. Yeah, you threw one out of the third story window. <laughs> and then she's like, well, there was a pool. It's probably fine. He's like, yeah, I'm going to assume that you knew that pool was there. <laughs> like, that's the Ivanova we know. That's the right. Ivanova we love, right? right? Just throwing somebody out of a third story window. But she said very clearly, I trust Talia Winters, but she has an unhealthy loyalty to Psychor. And boom, she proved it right there. It's, yeah. She's going to always choose Psychor, even though everything we just talked about, despite that, she's still going to be team team PC. And she, and you know, and because Sheridan straight up asked her like, Hey, did you do this? And she looked and you're going, yes, she did. And she goes, Nope. I, I need to know where that is. Like what that whole, what that whole piece is. Uh, with, with Talia. And I think part of it too, is that I think she was thinking again, Abby was this thing. And so she had more investigating she needed to do before she was ready to say anything. I, but I, as the viewer need to know that, you know what I mean? And I, people out there are like, Oh, just wait. I can't tell you because of spoilers. Just wait. And I'm like, awesome. Thank you. Great. Just yeah, uh, awesome. Don't tell us because don't even tell us if it comes back around. Don't tell us if it never comes back around. I, I, We'll find out and we'll, we'll get mad. We'll talk about this again later. Did you have a problem with Talia uh, agreeing to go to dinner with uh, a Sego or a, a Soji? A Sogi. I, I feel like I'm back to uh, uh, Ivanova. Right. <laughs> a Sogi. I did. And I had a problem with him hiring her for this. Yes, me too. The, you know, the way it started, you know, it just kicks off. They're like, oh, I'm happy to see you again. Okay, great. So they've got a professional relationship. They're happy to see each other. Introduce mm-hmm. her to Amanda. Cool. They're doing business. But then goes as far to say a father figure. I think uh, it's a conflict of interest. And I think going to dinner with him is cool. 
if you're also not acting as his commercial telepath. Yeah. And I like the note I wrote, I was like, it seems unprofessional. Mm -hmm. It might not be inappropriate for her to go to dinner with him because she also is walking down the, the hallway arm in arm with him at some point now. And that one really, I felt the father figure ness to that. Like it didn't feel romantic at all. That felt Mm -hmm. very, uh, uh, Ivanova and rabbi Koslov. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I think like it felt very, that it had that vibe to me. So her going to dinner, like I said, not inappropriate, just unprofessional. And I think, I think that carried through to the end. Like I, I liked the end where they, covered for amanda they keep negotiating with future corp do all these things but talia was so personally invested in Mm -hmm. making sure that his dream moved forward like she was over she was she was moved to hug her at the end she was so personally moved by it i i don't think that she should have i mean there aren't a bunch of commercial telepaths hanging out on babylon 5 i get it but psychor has a very very long list of very strict rules about how business is to be conducted. You'd think conflict of interest would be part of it. Can we talk about the commercial telepath though? Yeah. A little but, bit more. Cause first of all, I don't recall ever hearing that as the phrase that she is a commercial telepath, which to me says, and this is exactly what she is. Her services as a telepath are commercially available. Mm-hmm. You can buy her services, but they're in a negotiation the Mars lady and, and uh, Sogi are in a, in a negotiation and they're talking back and forth and she says something and Talia goes, nope, that's not at all what she just said. Da, 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 da. Like when you're in a negotiation striking stuff, you have to play your cards close to the chest. There is a legit like, I don't need to reveal this to you right now or you don't need to know this. And having a telepath there feels like that is actually not a good thing. To me, like I can understand why you might want to have that there as a negotiator, but like I'm going, I don't know that I would agree to have one there because we just need to talk. We've seen the commercial telepaths run a couple times, mostly uh-huh. in small deals. Back with um, I don't remember Sinclair's girlfriend's name, Catherine Sakai. Catherine, yeah. yeah. So like with dealings with her, you know, Talia was around doing stuff. I think my my mm, problem, I guess, with it, my wrinkle with it is there should be a telepath for both parties. Right. Like he was, that was a complete. Or she should be declared neutral. Or neutral. Yeah, yep. No, you're not. Nope, you're not. Because it's, it's, it'd be like you and I sitting down to negotiate and me bringing a team of lawyers and you sitting there being mm-hmm. like, I thought, I thought we were going to talk in good faith, man. Like what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Now, that being said, I have zero problem with a guy like Captain Picard having a Deanna Troy as an empath to do the exact same thing for him. <laughs> Different. Though, because I don't think it's like a commercial negotiation. Those are first contacts, diplomatic situations, potentially, you know, avoiding war and battle. I think the stakes are different. The mm-hmm. I don't think there's a reasonable expectation of I'm not going to cover every possible base, you know, or at least transparently. I feel better knowing that it's okay for me to have a problem with the way that this thing works. Like, it's not, this isn't Talia. This is just how it works in their society. Like, I I don't like having that in the in the way future stuff goes. I don't know. Maybe it would actually be helpful and prevent a lot of the shadiness that happens too. So. I think that's part of the idea, you know, is like we mm-hmm. in in the 23rd century, they're not negotiating in the same way that we in the 21st imagine negotiations. Like there's sure more transparency maybe and hopefully a little more honesty maybe. I don't know. But it would yeah. yeah. I think there's a better way they could approach it. But I'll tell you I did. I loved you mentioned it, the the Garibaldi and Talia interactions in this, I thought were were so well done. Like they were, they were a lot of fun. That scene in the elevator when he, <laughs> like she's all sad. Her, you know, her father figure just died and he's going to hit on her. <laughs> like right, right. Pulls a Franklin, but she calls <laughs> him on it. Right. And, and then unlike Franklin, he gets the message and he's like, oh, oh, you need a friend right now so cool i will be a friend like i'll do that for you was he hitting on her though oh i think so yeah you think totally. so? see i didn't i didn't i didn't pick up on that when they were first talking in the elevator like i like this was one of those like it was the most sincere that garibaldi has ever felt uh particularly when it comes to talia winters and he was just and and once he like once she let her guard down and just let him be sincere turns out they're kind of cool with each other 
I think it was after because he I forget what he said, but he said something about, you know, well, hey, I can I can do this thing or whatever. And she was like, are you serious? Like this guy just died. And I, you, all you're hitting me with is this whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm he lost this person. I'm just being a yuck. Can you tell me what that word means? <laughs> and they're like, ha, ha, ha. Because he, he took the feed, right? He's like, oh, right. yeah, this isn't the time. Like you're you're not looking for that kind of comfort, right? I'm not going to take a page from Dr. Franklin and take you to my quarters because I feel like you need me to caress your face and kiss you, even though I'm a professional. Instead, he's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I hear you. You just need a friend. You need somebody to joke with. Guess what? I am the man for taking care of that. So are Talia and Garibaldi, because we have heard and we know that Jerry Doyle and whatever the lady actress name is who plays Talia, like in real life, were married mm-hmm. during the production of this. Is this the writers like kind of putting them together? Are they gonna hook up as a as a character set? Like, like what what do you think? I've gone on the record on here a couple times on how anti ship I am. We both hate that word, yeah, right. But I am all for these two hooking up. It makes sense. They're not in a chain of command together. They're barely even coworkers, right? They're just two people that work on Babylon Five, and they're awesome together. Like they just had a fun chemistry. Listen, I have been all for the Ivanova uh, Garibaldi hookup. Like, I, I really have. And I, I still think that'd be a fun one. I, I'd love to see that as a relationship because I think that I think you could have a lot of fun with the dialogue and what that looks like. But I'm also all for Garibaldi and uh, Talia, 100%. I think he'd be a great partner. Like, he would be, like he'd, he'd be a great guy to date, I think. Speaking of Garibaldi, something I've never noticed before. As a person, as a human, he has very hairy hands. Oh, yeah? Oh, my God. Could you imagine that? How much does it hurt to take that thing off and on his body? Like, also in real life, but even just, like, in-universe, like, he's got to slap the thing on and take it off. Like, like, that's got to be not comfortable. I hope he gets hazard pay or something (laughs) like that. That is rough. Like, you know, does he get Corel lotion as a part of his job benefits package or something? Or... I got, I have one little kind of funny thing I want to bring up, and then we can start maybe talking about um, Abel and the whole story with um, sure. with him. But at the beginning, when Asogi and Amanda were meeting each other, right, and kind of laying their cards out on the table, he says, mm-hmm. uh, your great-grandfather, John, who piloted the first colony ship to Mars, would really like to see this thing happen. Did you do the math on John's name? No. Amanda Carter. So it would be John, John Carter. Carter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it could just be a coincidence, oh but I was like, oh, well done. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. I think those, I think those were because the movie, that god-awful movie came out just a couple years ago. But the books are pretty – they've been around a long time, I They've think. been around for a while, right? Right. Uh, was that movie bad? I always thought that movie was – I think I've only seen it once, but I remember like liking the movie and – Kind of knowing at the same time it was never going to get a sequel. I don't have good memories of it. I don't remember a lot, but let me. I'm going to see if you can. I'm going to see if you can decipher one of my notes. Okay, because I wrote this down and I don't remember what it means. I said, okay, the door gag was funny. Yes, Mister Wizard, let the wizard have a go. I do not remember what this means, but it's written in my notes for some reason. There's a way I wish this scene went down, but how it did go down was great. Sheridan had figured out that the little cyber zombie tracker thing would set off this weird kind of benign radiation and thought they could track him down with that. But I can't get these computers to find it because it's this, you know, obscure thing. And Garibaldi's like, let the wizard take over. I got this. Because apparently he's some sort of hacker. <laughs> you know, never been a part of his character before, but he sits down, you know, does the whole like crack the knuckle things and. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, you just do this cross reference to this database and the medical files. And there you go. And then the door opens and closes instead. And then he's like, oh, yeah, That's, yeah. it's more complicated than you thought it was. And he walks. Off. That's right. That's right. That made me laugh. I, I thought that was the door opening and closing. And like he goes to leave, but like he actually has to stop yep. and like time himself <laughs> up so he can get through. I loved it because they called out in this one that Garibaldi and Sheridan don't have the relationship that Garibaldi and Sinclair had. So I like that they're taking these moments, you know, to kind of build that. Are you good with with this like like I am? with this relationship taking time to develop. 100%. Like I need to see Sheridan and Garibaldi come together 
but I'm glad for that to take time. I like how they've done it where Sheridan and Ivanova have some history, so they have a place to start, but they also have to rebuild it because it's been years or whatever. But he and Garibaldi, you know, they don't know each other from Adam, and so they're having to build it. I really like the way they're doing it. I wish, though, in that scene, he would have set Sheridan aside and said, hey, let me show you how to handle this. See, all you have to do is call Ivanova mm-hmm. and ask her to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would have been a cool thing for him to kind of prop her up. And then I'll remind us as the viewer that uh, Ivanova is always right. She is always right. I saw Claudia Christensen not too long ago. It wasn't last week. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it was a couple months ago, uh, but she said something, somebody had tweeted out like Ivanova is always right. And she, as a person was like, this is some advice. I wish I would have taken more seriously when I was younger. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. That's, that's good. That's, that's a, all right, I got I got two things before we get okay in, into into this the the much bigger discussion. One, um, so in the future they have tricorders. Mm-hmm. Yep, in this world. Oh, that's your three. Is it? Yeah, and I only have one left. That's okay. I'm good. I, I'm I think actually I'm really good. I think okay. I'm, I'm fine. I don't know if I uh, but they have tricorder. Like, huh. listen, we just said that they're in the same universe now. Exactly. So, so it makes sense. Of course, yes, they do. yes. Okay, I tried to call this out in my recap just a little bit, but I just, I really have to point this out. So what we have is a representative of an Earth-based company that wants to have a meeting with somebody from Mars, which galactically is like just right over there. And they're both going to travel across the galaxy in order to have this meeting. I'm like, that's like a toy maker Wanting to meet with the president of, of Walmart in Antarctica right? so that they won't be overheard or whatever. Like, why? What? Surely you can find a place to meet that is not Babylon 5. Now, I know we have the sets existing here in Babylon 5, so it makes it easier. But still. They threw a couple words at that, right? Like, he even said, he's like, that's why I chose here, Babylon 5, to have this meeting. And yeah, because... Because it is a neutral place for all the races and everybody to come and do business. But yeah, it's pretty, but go to IO, right? You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's really, it, yeah, that was, that was very much about, Hey, we need to, uh, we need to have some stuff go down with Talia here. We need to telepath around. We need it to impact people in Babylon five. So we're going to do it there. I, I get it. Plot reasons. But I was just like, that is just stupid because here's what we know about jump gates. It's not like any sort of instantaneous teleportation technology that like, Hey, I'm just going to pop over here and I can go across the universe and do that. Like, and it's expensive. It's costly. Right. And there is a time of travel from the jump gate to your point of origin or destination. Like, like that's, that's not an easy necessarily uh, effective way to hold. It's kind of like, you know, I'm up in the northwest corner of the country. You're down in the southeast corner of the country. And if we were going to get together, right. it would make sense for us to say, hey, let's meet in the middle somewhere and do a thing. What would be stupid is to say, let's meet in South Africa. Right. Like, that's just dumb, you know, and that's it's what happened here. All right, last thing for me. Asogi was Mars's best hope for the future. My question, was he their last best hope? For the future? Well, no, because now we have Amanda Carter. She might be the last best hope, though. <laughs> and there you right. go. He was the best hope. She's the last yeah, best hope. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about, I mean, I, what, what do you got on this, dude? You know, I, not a lot, to be honest. Okay. I think it's, it's cool. Like, uh, the, the, the concept is cool. Let's take the leader of this terrorist organization, throw him in. There are obvious implications that happen from this. I thought it was, I, I appreciated a really minor callback they had in here because he, the note I took here, and this will be a deep cut for a lot of people, but the first time we see him is when Sonny roller skates past Xanadu to grab a Sogi by the throat and choke him to death, and then he heads <laughs> off. Right. Because Michael Beck was in Xanadu and was awesome. Okay, I'll get off that. But my immediate thought was, hey, that's what that uh, slaver Gene Simmons guy did back in Born to the Purple is he grabbed people and shocked them. And then when Sheridan Garibaldi were like problem solving, he's like, oh, you mean like a slaver glove? 
no, no, this is a much bigger thing. I was like, oh, that's a cool. That's where that kept. They said that, and I was like, I feel like I should know what that is, and I don't know what that is. Now I remember. Yeah, I thought I thought that was such a ridiculous thing in that born. Like, he's doing what? And then they pulled it in here. I'm like, what? Again? Oh, cool. Okay, they're doing it. He's got Darth Vader hands, so I get it. That makes sense. But I really, he was a tool. Right. I mean, they, I mean, mm-hmm. they could have put anybody there. It led to some good dialogue between him and Amanda Carter to do some stuff. For me, the best thing, the best thing about Abel Horn was Michael Beck, the actor. Mm. He was called on to do some ridiculous stuff, body seizure right. things and whatever. It never looked ridiculous. Like it looked, I, I bought everything he did. I honestly thought he was Brad Dorif. Like, the first five minutes that I saw him. And then like, we got a real close up and I was like, no, that's not at all. Yeah. They is. colored his hair or put a wig on him or something. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause yeah. he had that quality to him. It was really great and really well played. This is, if this was first season Babylon five and they threw this in here, acting would have ruined so much of this story, I think, but they had the acting was really good. And I think, I think it took it. Um, I think it really took it to a higher level. But my question was, he was phase one. Right. And then they said, go kill Talia because she saw it, and then we'll execute phase two. So what's phase two? And what are the other 12 elements that are out there? Uh, okay. So, so let's do that here. Let's recap what we learned because this, this episode was obviously a bit of an information dump mm-hmm. about what's going on. Okay. So there is a bureau 13 that is a rogue agency within earth's government. And they have 13 components, which we are assuming are space zombies. I'm saying that it's going to turn into a human. If, if it, it'd be awesome. I think it, I mean, human Cylon change the whole feel of this show. Oh I think. my gosh, it would. And it, and I almost feel bad because I've seen Battlestar Galactica and it feels like it'd be that story all over again, mm-hmm. but it would be different here. I mean, you know, we called out Garibaldi earlier. Like he absolutely could have been one of those people anyway. So there's Psychor. Now, Psychor has an outpost on Mars, like a big, deep outpost mm-hmm. on Mars, right? Uh, that nobody's supposed to know about. Also, they have, I'm assuming it's Psy- this might be Psychor. Maybe it's whatever this Bureau 13, actually, I guess it is Bureau 13, but you have a Psycop or a former Psycop who is in charge of this headquarters of this Bureau 13, or she is the 13th component. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. But there's an outpost in the San Diego Wastelands, which is kind of a cool concept. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't look a lot different than San Diego does today, by the way. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to still over here in Florida in my swampland and, and let you all have it over there. But there's a project called Project Lazarus that Sheridan somehow knows about, which I think is there's some stuff there. And it takes dead people or almost dead people and turns them into zombies that Psycor or Bureau 13 can use to do their bidding while that body is kept in a perpetual state of reliving the moment of death. And if they start flashing out of that, they can glitch and they like shock back into it. But if things go really, really bad, then they can just self-destruct like they're a freaking clone. Replicant? Is that where you're going? Yeah. Replicants. If Yeah. Th- like there's something of that nature. Anyway. Um, and there's that plan. Yeah. And there's a plan and there's the other 12 components out there somewhere, which again, we are assuming are more space zombies. Yeah. That's, is that, that's the only thing I can think. That's the only thing I can think of. I think we also know that, um, the other thing we learned is that earth government is actively trying to stifle anything that could lead to Mars independence or potentially bring up a thing. The matriarch of the Bluth family, who apparently was a Senator thinks that she can command Sheridan around. I loved how he stood up to her and he's like, yeah, that's not my job lady back off. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of what we learned through this. And this is apparently entirely separate from the whole shadows thing, which we keep hearing about. This doesn't touch on it. And we're going to, we're going to get this multi-fronted thing, which I I still am not entirely sure that I understand the political setup and nobody out there tell me because I'm sure the show is going to make it more clear. So please, you don't have to explain it to me. But at this moment in my watching as of season two, episode six, I am not fully comprehending the the 
political association of Mars with Earth. What is your understanding of how that whole thing's working right now? I think right now Mars is a colony of Earth. So it's it's kind of a kind of a Puerto Rico situation, right? Where right. totally subject to a whole lot of things, you're not represented in the in the overall government. Right. And there is a group that wants Mars to go be its own free thing. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously people who don't. And there's a provisional government on Mars, which is more than just a sh- a puppet government. It's very active. By the Earth Force. Yeah, very yeah, active. Like they're very active in doing something. So, and there's been a rebellion where they've tried to go off and get free and do their own thing. I think that's my best understanding of it right now. Just trying to put the pieces together. Yeah. And there's a lot of ties, a lot of ties to Mars, right? Sheridan said that he and his wife had special friends on Mars. Talia uh-huh. had been stationed on Mars. Garibaldi had mm-hmm. been stationed on Mars. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, stake in the game for, for people there. I also think we talk about the political situation when, we first saw 13 talking to control and we didn't know anything back when 13 was still Dr. Claw. Mm-hmm. We, they had uh president Clark on the TV. Yeah. In there. And so she was watching the news apparently. And he was talking about something about, um, you know, we're going to focus on earth and earth cultures to align with uh, president Santiago's vision, really beating that drum where I think he's trying to, Rewrite history. Yeah. And that, hey, everything everything we're doing is what Santiago wanted all along. Of course. One quick note on Project Lazarus. I am more and more convinced. And in fact, I'm okay with people telling me this. Mm-hmm. Mass Effect, so inspired by Babylon 5. Project Lazarus is the program that brought Shepard back at the beginning of Mass Effect. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't played this game. But Shepard sort of gets, he dies, he gets almost dead at the top of Mass Effect 2 and Project Lazarus rebuilds him very much straight out of the, straight out of, out of this episode. Just, it worked really, really well with Shepard. Do, do, do people get as mad about Mass Effect ripping off Babylon 5 as they supposedly do about Deep Space Nine getting? I, I am making those, like, I've, I have never heard the two were in any way related, but I, this is like the third or fourth, like, there are scenes of Babylon 5 that are played out in Mass Effect. Uh huh. So to tell us in the comments, right? Are you, fr- are you upset about this? Right. Like, yeah. Cause if you're not, here I go, if you're not upset about it, then it proves my point that it's more about timing than anything else. Had Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5 not aired simultaneously, we wouldn't still be having this conversation right now Mm -hmm. because we're not having it about Mass Effect. Or we are, and I'm just not included in them for some reason. Right. I don't, Jeff, it feels like we're going to continue to go down this rabbit hole of uh, Deep Space Nine slash Babylon 5, but let's save that for a future episode. Why don't we get to that part of the show where we boil this down and actually do the Star Trekky thing and see if this episode has any of that Star Trekky quality? Maybe there's a deep moral message to it. Maybe it's holding up a mirror to society. Is it giving us hope for a better future? I am going to discuss my side of it, and then I'm going to rate this on a scale of zero to five deltas to see how exactly Star Trek this episode is. Jeff, you, on the other hand, when you're going to do your analysis, but I'm going to ask you to rate it on a scale of zero to five star furies of how much you just enjoyed this episode. Jeff, I'll let you go first. So I don't know if this was recency bias or not, right? But my initial reaction was that I loved everything about this episode. I'm like, oh, this is the best thing ever. But on my second watch, it was still super, super good. Just not as good as I, as I first thought. Yep. We're seeing some of the older Ivanova. Again, the, the the great attitude, that swagger, that that confidence that she has, and I loved what we got in Garibaldi. This was about, like I said, this was about reminding us about the Earth and the Mars stuff, and then moving it forward a little bit, introducing Bureau Thirteen. But I really enjoyed this episode, and for me, the espionage stuff was done really well. Mm-hmm. It made sense, you know. I mean, like I, when I watched it the first time, I felt like things were a little string strung together, and maybe didn't make sense. But on the second watch through, there were just a couple cuts that, like when Talia's bodyguard got killed, it was just like, oh wow, that was kind of out of nowhere that that happened. Okay, that's just an mm-hmm. editing thing, but it was all fun. Garibaldi and Talia though are what really moved this up for me. 
without the Garibaldi and Talia stuff, this might have been like a two, two and a half for me. But with that, I'm going to give this one three, three star theories. So this episode, I think for the first time, had a real Star Trekky type message to it. And I'm going to fixate on a single line because I've noticed this is kind of how Babylon 5 does it. It sort of throws it out there and then it just leaves it and lets you pick up on it. We could talk about respecting life and what do you do with the dead bodies and and all of that. I, I don't think that's really it. But there's a line where the senator lady talking to Sheridan, she says this. She says, practicality is more important than principles. And I went, oh, that's what this episode's going to be. And she said it so early. That's what this episode's going to be about is them exploring that concept. Are your principles or better, do your principles override the practicality of just getting it done? You know, uh, and we have seen that done and played out in Star Trek so often, you know, when, when the rubber meets the road, are you going to stick to your guns? Uh, I am always reminded of Kirk's words. Uh, I think it was at the end of Corbin might maneuver where he says, it's time to see if our high sounding words actually mean anything. Right. Uh, we see this happen in Voyager all the time with Janeway, like any, you and I were talking about before we went on mic tonight, like Anytime the Voyager crew gets off kilter of the Starfleet values, the Starfleet principles, things go bad. It, it's the sticking to them that sees them through in the end that has held them together. Uh, certainly in Next Generation, we see it all the way through. We, we see this again and again. Even now in Prodigy, we're seeing a lot in that. Did they do anything with it afterwards? That's what's been running through my mind. Like, so she says this line, practicality wins out over over principles. And, and we have to sit there and go, no, it doesn't. And... This is going to show. I don't know that they showed a whole lot of principles in this particular episode. Like, again, this episode seemed to be much more of an information dump. But the fact that they brought that up gives it a lot of weight to me. And um, I'm sure if we were to really sit here and dissect it even more, we could dive down that rabbit hole. And I'm not sure if the writers intended to go there or not. So I won't. But I will give this one two and a half deltas. Because they mentioned it, they brought it up. I don't know that they landed the ship. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, did, they didn't bring it all the way home, but it, they floated it out there. And certainly, they play, I think they played with those ideas a little bit through. They just never went anywhere with it to kind of... They didn't give you the guy who is betraying their principles and just working on practicality and then the person who's struggling with, should I or shouldn't I? Like, we didn't have that. It wasn't that clear of a thing, you know? So, yeah, I'm going to go two and a half uh, deltas. I like that. I think, you know, especially back in the early episodes that we did, we awarded some deltas based on what, like our optimism or pessimism about what we think is going to happen. And I think mm -hmm. it's really easy to see this one being an information dump, introducing some new players and things that they have that theme. And I can very much see that Sheridan playing in that space of conspiracy junkie being where some of those themes do play out through this this story arc where you know we could this but they're doing they're doing it this way and, and i i can't let that happen because i believe like i could see this being the road paved for sheridan to really drive home some of those messages i really kept trying to find it in the bureau 13 stuff and the th like that 13 components like i i didn't know if we were going to see her again later in the episode or the san diego thing but i that kept running through my mind after i heard that of like this organization, whatever, whoever these people are, they're taking the practical side and we're going to see our Babylon five crew have to struggle against the principled side. Yeah. And it, it, like I said, it never really materialized. So I, I'd like, that's where I really wanted it to be. But that was, I think me trying to force it, uh, admittedly. Well, with that, Jeff here in season two, we've started doing something where we are ranking the episodes. And for the first time, Jeff, something's going to have to fall out of the top five. We are going to do this. We're going to set this one. We're going to rank this episode amongst its peers. This is going to be the absolute 100% completely accurate definitive ranking of Babylon 5 Season 2. Jeff, where are we going to put Spider in the web? Currently, let me just remind us, number one is Points of Departure. Number two is Geometry of Shadows. Number three is Revelations. Number four is A Distant Star. Actually, the fifth spot is still blank because we kicked the long dark out last week and didn't even let it sit in the top five. This will be the first time we actually have a top five. Right. And I'm going to put a spider in the web in spot number two, right behind points of departure. 
I wholeheartedly agree. That's exactly where I was hoping you would put it because reasons. Yeah, it's a great episode, but so is points of departure. Yeah. yeah. Good episode. It makes me eager to see next week's episode now. Exactly. And there's a lot more to come. Not because I want to get this one out of my mouth. Like I don't want to like just move on because this one sucked. Like I'm now excited to continue on with the story. It's a good point. Because <laughs> I think that's where we've been in the last couple of weeks. Well, Brent, that's it for a spider in the web. Next week, we get to play our game now. Next week, we are watching Soulmates for the first time. Now we've never looked ahead. We've never seen these before. We've never talked about them. No trailers, no synopses, no pictures, no anything. Based on the name alone, Brent, what do you think Soulmates is going to be about? All right, I'm going to I'm going to continue to speak this into existence until it actually manifests. We are due for Londo and Jakar. This is going to be a Londo and Jakar episode. I will even accept a Londo or Jakar episode, although I personally prefer Londo. Could this be Londo and Jakar being soulmates of each other? Not Whoa. necessarily in a romantic way, not in a romantic way, but in a way that they're they're like inextricably linked together kind of a thing. Hopefully it's not Talia and Garibaldi. Because for both of them, we've had like somebody from the past yeah. come up. Like with Talia, we had Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Irons. <laughs> Jeremy Ironside. Jeremy? Ironheart. Jeremy Ironheart. Was it Jeremy? Jason. Jason. Oh my gosh. Jason. You know who I'm talking about. Dude. Dude who ascended. That's who we had. And then with Garibaldi, we had uh, his ex-wife who went off and did the castaway thing where she got married to somebody else. We've had both of those. So hopefully it's not like that. Uh, I do want to see a Londo and Jakar episode. And does maybe Londo finally finds a new, didn't he say he already has like three wives? Maybe he finds a new wife. Is he, oh, is there, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is there a thing in Centauri culture where like, like almost like Denobulans, like you get three, but in order to get a new one in, we've got to bump one of the other ones out. And that's, you know, this is my soulmate. I've got to, and so now we get to, we get to, uh, did we meet one of the wives before? No, I I think we saw their pictures. May, yeah, yeah, and he, he, oh man, he loves his wives, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, like the 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 horseman of the apocalypse, <laughs> right? Right. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going with Londo and Jakar, but Londo has met a new girl and he's fallen in love, and he's got to kick out one of his old wives to try to make room for a new one. So I feel like the more you talked, the more the closer you were going to get to my guess, and I think we might be able to meld them together. Because okay. I thought this was going to be um, the sequel to Born to the Purple. And a- okay. Adira, who he sent off, you know, to go oh, do stuff. Yes, yes her. Is, I like yeah, her. Exactly. She was great. So I think, I think Adira is going to come back and they're soulmates. But I want to add that onto yours that she's going to be the, like, that's the going to be the drama is this young former slave is going to take me, a Malari wife, the, you know, and we're, maybe get one of those. So we will marry our predictions in an episode where predicting will be about marriage. I, and it's Jakar is going to be floating around somewhere. Of course. Like, of course. That's, 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 he'll be the best man. <laughs> He's got to plan the bachelor party. <laughs> well, that's it. Uh, we're going to find out next week right here. Thank you all so much for joining us. We appreciate it more than you can possibly know. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you're listening or watching us. And if you haven't already, Run over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. I love reading your reviews here on the podcast. With that, Brent, until next time. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. You want to know You want to know what my third favorite thing in the universe is? Oh my God. Sure. Yeah, sure. Sure. Interrupting your closings. Oh, <laughs> you do. You're so funny. Well, hey, peace. Peace and long life. It's my first time.